God is in so many things and trying to talk to us in so many different ways. And we think it's only going to happen when I'm praying. And we go through our day and we don't think about something that we see on the street or an interaction we have with a coworker or with our spouse that are really God moments. Welcome to Radical Abundance. I'm your host, Teresa Jansen, and today my guest is Tez Brooks. He knows what it's like to be on the front lines of some of the most difficult circumstances that we have going on in the world today. Welcome, Tez. It's great to have you on Radical Abundance. Thanks, Teresa. It's good to be here. Why don't you start us off just to tell the Radical Abundance audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you're currently working on? Yeah, my wife and I are full-time missionaries. That's our day job. But I also write and author books on the side when I have time. And one of my outreaches, we try to reach out to influencers around the world, both here and overseas. One of my outreaches is to the local police department. And so I'm a chaplain there. And that's actually what led me to write this book, Debriefing. Okay. And we will talk about that book, Debriefing, as we go through our interview. But first... I didn't even know that law enforcement police officers had chaplains. And so is that really common? Does every police force have a chaplain? Probably not every police department, but a lot of them do. And we're utilized for both the cops and to the general public. So we kind of try to help make their job easier. We'll go and give death notices to the public. And then we're also there for the police officers when they're going through a hard time, whether it's marriage problems or just depression, trauma. So yeah, we reach out both to the community and to our officers. Okay. Okay. And sometimes you ride along with police officers, right? Quite a bit. Yes. I try to do that at least twice a month and I'll ride along beside them and just go with them to all their calls. It just really helps me get to know the officers better and to just hear what their needs are. And I think that helps me as a chaplain to get to know them first before I just try to push any, I don't try to push any religion on them or any type of spiritual conversations. I just let God do what he wants to do while I'm riding along with them. It's all about relationships and waiting for those opportunities and doors to be open. And I think in crisis environments, oftentimes doors open a little bit more readily. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big believer in relational evangelism. I don't really try to proselytize, but the relationship happens first. And then uh, those are open doors, like you said, for me to share where my hope comes from and uh, to share the message of Jesus with these police officers. And have you found people actually come to faith as a result of these relationships? Or is it more like of a discipleship growing in faith type of a situation? Yeah, I've never actually led someone at the moment while I'm with them, but I can I have seen where their belief system starts changing, their worldview, they start going to church. And so for many, coming to Christ is a long process. And I know some people can say on this date I came to Christ and I prayed this prayer and a lot of people of course have different different experiences as they draw closer to Christ. And so that's more what I see. I see a lot of officers that maybe used to be in church when they were growing up and they come back to the Lord. And yeah, I think who you hang out with influences you greatly. I tell that to my kids all the time. Be careful who you choose to be your friend because you're going to become like them. And I think that's what happens. Hopefully that's what happens when they hang around with some of us chaplains. 
Yeah, I hope so too. And I know that sometimes when people are questioning and those questions oftentimes come because we live in a hurting, broken world. And who sees that more than our frontline workers? They see some of the absolute worst of humanity. And I can see where that can cause people to question their faith. They say that's one of the number one objections that people have to the Christian faith is they say, if God is good, why do bad things happen? I bet you've heard that question before. I have, yes. And even as a believer, when I was working in law enforcement, because I used to be in law enforcement before I was a chaplain, and um, yeah, there's a lot of trauma that they go through and they see the worst of humanity. They can get really skeptical. And those questions come up a lot. And so I have to make sure I'm on my game and that I know how to how to defend the gospel without really causing an argument. I think one of the strategies I use is I just ask a lot of questions. And let them, let it be their idea of maybe they've got faulty thinking. I try to put a pebble in their shoe so their their belief system is a little off kilter, but I'm never one to say, you need to believe this and you're wrong. And that's not going to open doors for any conversation. That's right. I think that just shuts the door right then and there. And then it can be a long day riding around in a police car <laughs> with someone like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah that's I, not I what try you to want. Be a, I always try to be a blessing and I'll pray for them at the end of the shift when I get out of the car. But yeah, the last thing I want is to be stuck in a car with them and it's silence and it's icy cold. <laughs> Maybe if there's a canine unit, you can talk to the dog for a while. I don't know. <laughs> so t- let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world, especially in North America with mm. how the police are perceived and how other frontline workers are perceived right now. Has there, have you seen a shift? Is this something new or is it, has it always been there and it's just increasing some of the negative feelings that people have towards frontline workers? Yeah, that's a great issue to talk about because I guess it's been there in the past to some extent, but it really has accelerated in the last five years. And it's just sad. Some of the things that we're seeing is like Our city police used to get about 70 new recruits to go through the academy every six months. So 140 people a year. It's down to 20 or 30 cadets. They keep dropping out when they realize how hard the job is now. Their families are pressuring them. They're like, it's dangerous and nobody likes you. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of residual issues that come from just a few bad cops that we've had throughout the country. It just makes it hard on everyone. And, you know, where there used to be a lot of courageous police officers, there still are, but they have to think twice before they decide, am I going to defend myself? And that can end up killing you. So that fear, if you really think about it, being a police officer, you've got a gun on you. But if somebody pulls a gun, you have to think twice, because what if it's not a gun? Or what if this person, what if I end up getting filmed and I did something wrong? So that fear is a good fear, but it can really work against you when you're trying to protect the public uh, and then you end up dead yourself. So those are some really hard things to deal with. Everybody's watching you and most cops are good cops. They're not crooked. They're not corrupt. But yeah, that overall consensus with the country is just really, oh, they're all, they lump them all together. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, like you said, there are definitely individuals who have made some big mistakes and big crimes, actually. And to lump everyone together, though, like that, no one wants to be judged because of the people group they're a part of that goes for ethnic, religious, and occupational people groups. You don't really want to be lumped together with everyone, yet human nature, we do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. So those are some of the things that are really powerful. What is the word I want to use? Just a way to cripple some of their thoughts about their own occupation. They're retiring early. And uh, rather than feeling like they're a hero, like we used to think of them, yeah, they're realizing people don't think of me as a hero and they actually despise me when they see me. And they can't sit and in their car with their windows down because someone might throw a milkshake in their window. It's just little mean things like that make it hard for them. So I'm hoping that this book can be a blessing and I pray every day that I'm a blessing to them as I ride with them. Are you a military service member or the family member of a military service member with a message God has put on your heart? Abundance Books is accepting submissions for an upcoming devotional called The Warrior Soul, Making Peace with the Dark Places. It's a unique devotional made for military personnel by military personnel and their families. You can find all the information at abundance-books.com click on the call for submissions tab. So the book is called Debriefing. Tell me a little bit about who is it for? And you just said you hope it's going to be a blessing. Yeah, so it's not just for police officers. I wrote this book for EMS personnel, 911 operators, firefighters, correctional officers. Yeah, just a whole range of stories that are in the book. What I did was over the years, I've heard stories from different first responders. And because of my worldview and because of my close relationship with Jesus, I was always drawn toward, wow, this connects to scripture, or this is a great lesson that God might be trying to teach this officer or this this first responder. And so I started asking for permission to write these stories down, put them in more of story form and make them more interesting, and then connected them to scripture. And the subtitle is Meditations of Hope for Those Who Protect and Serve. And that's exactly what I wanted to do, is to instill hope. So it's a short book. There's only 20 stories, and each story connects to Scripture. But what I love most about what the Lord helped me to do is having the takeaways at the end of each chapter. There's a debriefing section, which is where they there's a suggested prayer that they can pray. There is a dispatch section where I dispatch them to go read scripture. And then there's some takeaways as well. Like, what? how can I apply this to my life? Or next time this happens to me, how can I see where God is at work helping me through my workday? So the book is it's, about to launch, right? It's coming out on the 1st of August? It actually came out a week early. Wow, my mistake. It's out. <laughs> so yeah, it's out now and it's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, or limited edition hardcover. And I'm hoping that I know already people are buying it for, uh, they're not necessarily in law enforcement or first responders, but they are buying it as a gift to someone that's in that occupation, a loved one or a family member. And I'm hoping that a lot of non-Christians, first responders will get that as well, because there's a clear gospel message in the last chapter. I see. Okay. I hope so too. And it sounds to me like it would be a great gift for someone who's a first responder. So anyone who's listening to the show, 
there's a gift idea for you and wouldn't even wait for the next gift giving occasion because it sounds like it's just a, something that would be an everyday encouragement. It's true. Although the yeah. 21st anniversary of 9-11 is coming up and that would be a great opportunity uh, to say, hey, thinking about you. Yeah. Or Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or if anyone does go through something really difficult, I know that people yeah. who are first responders, they do have a little bit of that hero personality, maybe even as a, a child. Remember how, at least my era, when you were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a cop. Mm. I want to be a fireman. I want to be these big hero things. We really want to grow that in our children. And so I can imagine, I don't know, but I can imagine how difficult it must be for someone who has that real desire to be a hero to all of a sudden see that people don't view them that way all the time. So I'm also yeah. thinking about what are some ways that we can interact with our first responders and um, treat them as heroes or how can we encourage them? What's a practical way that the general public could just encourage their first responders? Yeah, there's lots of ways. In fact, this may seem a little cliche, but they do love donuts. And we often get the public coming in with whether it's a parent with their child or teacher with some of her students, and they'll bring in donuts and the officers love those. And I'm not sure if the rest of the other first responders have that, uh, that propensity to love baked goods, but I know that cops do. Another thing <laughs> is you can ride along if you're 18 or older, you can ride along with a cop. You just fill out a form a few days ahead of time and let them know what day that you'd like to come. And they will set you up with a police officer, either for a full shift or half shift. Some of them work long days. And so I would recommend you only sticking with them for half a shift. And then they'll take you back to the police station so you can go home. But yeah, those are just a few things. Thank you notes, just letting them know. A lot of teachers will have their classrooms make a big poster with their handprints all over it with paint and just saying, we love you and we appreciate you. There's so many ways that you can say thank you and to support police officers. And other first responders as well. The firemen, they yeah. love that stuff. 911 operators are forgotten and neglected because we don't see them. Mm. Usually in the main police station, usually in your downtown where the main station is, usually up on another floor that no one even knows they're there. Getting permission to go up there and just tell them and do the same thing, bringing them goodies or treats or a big poster because they're forgotten. And without them, the other first responders can't do their job. So let's not forget about them. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think we do forget about them. And yet I imagine that a 911 operator can really set the tone and the stage for what the police officer or the fireman or the paramedic or whoever, what they're going to encounter on the scene when they do arrive. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a high stress job. Most 911 operators only last about two years. Because mm. you're not only trying to calm the person down who's calling about the emergency, maybe you're giving CPR over the phone or telling a little kid, hang in there. Or if there's an intruder, stay on the phone with me while you hide under the bed or whatever. They're not only stressed out trying to help the person who called, but they're also trying to remain calm for the, the first responders that are on their way. And they're trying to give clear, unemotional information to these first responders, and yet they're in the middle of trying to help people stay alive. So it's a right. high stress. And, and they have to use their words, and they don't have the luxury of 
eye to eye contact, right. their hands, anything else, but just to use their words to create an environment of calm while also giving life saving instruction. Thank you for that. I hadn't really thought about that. And that is a, I can imagine a very stressful mm. job. And if you're someone like me, I'm a little bit of a self confessed control freak. It would be very hard for me to be so removed and hands off from a situation. That's tough. Yeah. One thing that's really hard for them, well, another thing that's really hard for them is also them hanging up, not knowing how it ended up. Did the person die? They can't get involved after they hang up. They might hear through the grapevine what happened, but it's often they have to move on to the next phone call uh, and take one after the other, not knowing did this person live or die? What happened? Another overlooked hero is the correctional officer. As they're in the prison all day, nobody really sees them and knows how uh, dangerous they are, the job, and that they're protecting the entire population by keeping everything in control and secure. Yeah, I just really have a really, I have a heart for first responders. I think that's what drew me to write the book. That's wonderful. I hope it's a resource for a lot of people. So tell me, What's coming next? Now that you have this book done, I know every writer, they're thinking ahead to what's next, even though I know your focus is really on getting this one out into the hands of people. But I have a hunch you have something in mind. I do. I'm working on a, a little gift book for for graduates or young adults that have just moved out of their parents' home. It's a working title, but it's somewhere along the line along the lines of 500 <laughs> words of advice from scripture and your peers. And it's I've collected advice from empty nesters, people that are in their 20s, high school kids, and Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, just putting them all together to help people, young people that are trying to learn how to adult in this world. There's a lot of helicopter parents out there, and that's yeah. not always healthy for young adults. And they end up coming back home, boomeranging. And I'm hoping that this will be a blessing and an encouragement to young adults who are moving out for the first time on their I know that you. this isn't the first time you've addressed the topic of parenting and things like that. So tell us a little bit about your other book, if you could. Yeah. So The Single Dad Detour is written from my experience and the experience of several other single dads. And just it's more of like a survival guide, how to navigate through life, if you're recently divorced and you're raising your kids on your own. For seven years, I was a single dad after a divorce happened, an unwanted divorce. And I was just really, I couldn't find anything out there for, there was plenty out there for single moms, but not much for dads. And after I remarried, I, the Lord just led me to really write a book to help these guys that are trying to live their life for the Lord, navigate their family through this difficult season of divorce and just be a good dad that's there for their kids. And that was the result, the book, The Single Dad Detour. I'm really encouraged over, it's you know, six years old, but just seeing what God has done with that book, because it's such a small niche of readers. But I just heard last year that Singapore is using it in their teen challenge programs for any single dads that come through the program. They're giving them a free copy of the book. I just thought, wow, who would have thought? Because it was right, a hard book. That's to write. amazing. I, had to, I yeah. had to revisit some painful memories, and I really didn't want to do that. I remember asking God, or just telling God, God, it just feels like I'm—I've been through this myself, and I'm over it, and I'm remarried, and I'm starting another family. I just really don't want to do this. It feels like I'm digging through cat litter. 
for someone else's car keys. And I've already dug through the cat litter for my own car keys. And now you want me to do it for someone else. <laughs> and, yeah, that um, doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> yeah. So there was some difficult times, but it's been such a blessing to see what God has done with it. I've actually created some great new friends, some single dads who have called me up after listening to a podcast like yours or some other person. And yeah, we're still in contact with, I'm still in contact with a few guys that I've never met in person, but we met over the podcast or they called in. So it's been a real ministry actually. Well, Tez, thank you for digging through the sandbox for so many people. Though that's the way it works when you do this type of writing as the type of writing I do too, is you don't write about your really fabulous moments where everything went great and you won and all of that, right? Because who wants to read that? That's the book I want to read. But everyone else, they want to read not only about my brokenness, because if it ended in my brokenness, that also is a book that no one wants to read. But how God stepped in and redeemed it, that's the story that people need to read. And it takes really brave people to step out there and tell those vulnerable stories. No, it's not fun, but it does provide hope to other people. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's, and uh, we've talked it. about a lot of resources on the show, lots of them so far today. And I'm going to put links to all of them in the show notes. So if you're interested in either of these books, anything, it'll be in the show notes. Tez, tell us how can we connect with you if someone needs to reach out to you? Yeah, I'd love to connect. They can go to my website, tezbrooks.com. They can find me on Facebook under my author page or Twitter. And the book is available through Amazon. Both books are available through Amazon. I have other books too. I've written about 14 that I've either co-authored or authored. There's a great book for pastors called The Seven Ways to Your Church Can Minister to Single Dads. That's a short read. It probably takes 15 minutes. I wouldn't even call it a book. It's more like an article. But yeah, they can contact me through my website or Facebook or social media. Wonderful. Thanks so much for that. We'll be watching for debriefing and I have it. So thank you. And I'm hoping that a lot of people are going to go out there and grab it right now for the first responder in their life. And Tez, do you have anything you want to leave us with today? Yeah, I would just say, be encouraged. It's not just first responders that need this hope or single dads. It's all of us. I would encourage you to look for the God moments in everyday circumstances. God is in so many things and trying to talk to us in so many different ways. And we think it's only going to happen when I'm praying. And we go through our day and we don't think about something that we see on the street or an interaction we have with a coworker or with our spouse that are really God moments. And so I would encourage you to ask God, open my eyes, Holy Spirit, and help me to see what you're trying to reveal to me today in the everyday mundane things. Amen. That's what we're all about here on Radical Abundance, finding radically abundant things every day. And Tez, I wish you a radically abundant day. Oh, thanks, Teresa. Same to you. 